Welcome back to the Spacemakers podcast. This is Isabel Gates, and I'm so excited for this two-episode drop we're doing today. We are releasing our interview with Marty Solomon called Church, Power, and Empire, as well as the one that you're listening to right now, just because we felt like these episodes really went hand in hand. Marty is a great friend to everyone on this episode and speaks a little on the groups I'm about to introduce you to, so make sure you check that episode out as well. But since our Spacemakers hiatus was a little longer than we meant for it to be, we wanted to give y'all lots of content right off the bat, which is why we gave y'all two episodes today. Hopefully you'll have a lot to talk and think about after these. If you're new to this podcast or you did listen to season one, but you haven't listened to season two yet, we're going to ask you either way to listen to our re-intro episode, which is the first episode from season two. Also, if you would like, um, we encourage people to listen to episode three from our first season as well, which is all about listening with empathy. Moving on, we would also like to announce that our website is officially up. So go visit spacemakerspodcast.com. It has all our recommended books and other resources. It has links to our Facebook group and our social media. It has transcripts to episodes. Hopefully soon we'll have translations to those transcripts as well. If anyone wants to volunteer to translate, let us know. Um, but yeah, that's kind of going to be our hub for all our resources um, and links. There's just going to be a lot of good stuff there. We also do have a donate button because us space makers do make this podcast on our time and with our money and any help would be so appreciated. So all of that good stuff is on spacemakerspodcast.com. All right, so this episode is about speaking up in church, and we gathered a few people who in many circles inside the ICOC are kind of known for that. If you haven't heard of them or their organizations, they are young adults who in the past few years have led online movements, calling out toxic church culture, asking for change in church, and starting conversations about things like women's rights and roles, racial issues, and a lot of the topics that we're super passionate about here at Spacemakers. In fact, one of the organizations called Lifeline LA is actually made up of three Spacemakers. Their involvement with Lifeline is what made me want to team up with them for this podcast in the first place. The three wonderful, beautiful women making up Lifeline LA are Janae Johnson, Rachel Gonzalez, and Megan Wickham. Lifeline started in 2018 when Megan was in Washington State for school and realized that there was a lack of conversation on mental health in the church at the time. She started blogging about it, and eventually when she went back to L.A., she joined forces with her besties, Rachel and Janae, and it eventually evolved into what it is now. They are mainly an Instagram account that posts a lot about social justice, deconstruction, and a lot of other things. You should totally give them a follow when you get the chance. Lifeline.LA These girls have spent hours, and I mean hours, listening to people share their experiences in the ICOC, advocating for change in church culture, talking to leadership around the globe. They've, of course, been met with praise and disapproval, which we will talk about in this episode. The other guests that we're having today are from Wound of My People, or WAMP for short. If you haven't heard of them, they are a group that talks about similar issues to Lifeline LA. They are mainly known for their video forums and have focused a lot on politics, racial justice, and more recently, women's roles. They are super passionate about talking about social justice with a Christ-like lens. 
During WAMP's Women's Role series they released during the pandemic, the group faced a lot of pushback for believing in leadership based on the gifts and talents of individuals more than based on their gender. Basically, that there shouldn't be a separation of roles for men and women, which we will cover in a later episode. The Philadelphia Church, where a lot of WAMP originated, eventually read a letter to the whole church saying that if WAMP doesn't stop what they're doing, they and anyone affiliated with them will be kicked out of the church. They said their reasoning was more about how WAMP said things than what they said, but the announcement had been the first WAMP had heard of all of that. And after that, some of the WAMP leaders attended other ICOC church locations, some went to house churches, etc., but the group did continue to make content, and they still are. You can follow them on Instagram, at Wound of My People. We wanted to have both Lifeline LA and WAMP on here for a few reasons. One is that I think they just have great things to say and are some of the most passionately compassionate people I know. Another is that these people are always talking about different issues within church contexts, but I think we can learn a lot from hearing about what it was like even speaking up. So many of our listeners are always asking what to do once they see problems in church communities. They want to know if they should speak up, how to speak up, what to do when you see people being marginalized or structures within church that don't feel like Jesus or any other problems. And here at Space Makers, we figured, why not ask some people who are kind of known for speaking up and have made mistakes, but have also made differences and helped a lot of people and have a lot of experience in this area. This episode will be a little bit more ICOC-centric than we're wanting to be for most of the season, but we hope that listeners from outside the ICOC can take something from a lot of the universal issues we're discussing. I personally think that it's so helpful to hear from people who have been bold and have spoken up about the issues that I care about, because it's telling how an organization handles its not-so-good feedback. Every good company, when it hears bad reviews, makes sure that they handle that well, and I think that there's something that we can grab from that when we're talking about how we exist as faith communities. How can we handle the harder issues? How can we handle people speaking up about the negative aspects of our communities? In this episode, we'll talk a little bit about what it's like to speak up, the things that they wish they did different, advice for people who want to speak up and make change, and so much more. So I'm excited for you guys to hear from these five people. They are some of my best friends. So obviously I'm a little biased, but I think it's time for people to hear what their experiences have been like speaking up in church. It's so cool to like be on this Zoom call with a bunch of my friends and to be able to talk about these things. I love these people so much and it's always a fun time when we get to talk and all that stuff. So I'm excited to introduce some of them to you guys. I know some listeners already obviously know um, the space makers in this group who are also part of Lifeline LA and then some of you guys might be familiar with WAMP, but um, it'll be cool to hear some more from them. So I'm going to ask them to like briefly introduce themselves. 
Um, obviously, you kind of know the Lifeline girls, but just in case you don't, we'll go with, um, we'll have them go first. And then after that, we'll introduce Womp as well. So yeah, go for it. Hi guys, it's your girl. It's Janae. Um, this is really exciting because it's Space Makers times Lifeline times Womp. And so this is super fun. I am here not so much as a Space Maker. I'm here as one of the Lifeline girlies. And you guys know about me. I'm part-time nutrition ambassador. I start grad school in the fall. So your girl's doing a lot of stuff. I'm really, really excited, but uh, I'm really excited to be here with everybody. I love all these people so much. They are all really close friends and I'm excited for y'all to hear this episode. Yay. Okay. Uh, I'm Meeks. I'm also one of the Lifeline Girls uh, and I'm a sociology major. Um, I go to Cal State Long Beach And yeah, I'm also just really excited for this episode. Um, I love talking about these things. I think um, it's not only pertinent to us, but also to a lot of our listeners who are now like, okay, I'm aware of all these things, but now what do I do and how do I do them? And it can just be a point of uh, contention for people of um, just about all these things. So I'm excited to talk uh, with our friends um, because they're just... We just love them so much. Uh, And they've been there for us um, along this journey because it is hard at times. So I'm really grateful for them and I'm excited. Hi, it's Rachel. Um, Y'all know me too, but I'm also here representing mostly Lifeline and also like partly Space Makers. Um, I am currently getting my double master's in public health and social work at UCLA shout out and by the time this episode releases probably I will be in Kenya so that's a fun time um I'm so excited for this episode it definitely feels like a reunion friends talking with friends and it'll be a good time so stay tuned (laughs) yay and let's go over to the Womp Boys Hi, uh, my name is Gian Philip White. I'm the uh, executive director at Wound of My People, and I currently live in the North Jersey, New York area. Uh, you know, I love fresh flowers and walks on the beach and reconnecting with uh, my Cali and Texas brethren, sisterin, themren, and just getting into spicy conversations. Love it. Okay, Alan. Excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm Alan. I am. Uh, uh, I guess I guess my title is uh, resource manager for one of my people. And uh, I guess as this episode is being recorded and probably when it's airing, I'm in I'm in the middle of a move. I'm a musician. Kind of, I guess based in the Philadelphia area, but I'm moving to Miami Beach in a couple months. So I'm in a transition period at the moment. But um, yeah, this is this is great. I'm so inspired by uh, everybody that's uh, that's on this uh, on this call, and I really feel like I just kind of uh, take after all of your leads. So uh, this is this is really cool. So yeah, excited for this. I wanted to ask for both of the groups what what are the things that made you really want to do something? You know, because I I know that you guys all probably have these thoughts for a really long time, and I know a lot of people do have these thoughts. But what was the thing that like kind of pushed you to do something? Um, yeah, I think uh, 
this is Alan, by the way. I think for for me, um, whenever Gion reached out to me, this was in early June of 2020, uh, which, if we remember, was I, I believe George Floyd was murdered on the 25th of May, 2020. So this is right in the the um, collective uh, aftermath of all of that. Um, whenever he reached out to me and asked me to to be a part of forming this type of little, you know, teaching or slash community group uh, to address these things, I felt like it was just, you know, for me, my my faith and not even just my faith, but what I feel was important to me dictated that like whenever presented with such, such an obvious opportunity to do something that could affect change. It's like, you can't turn it down. (laughs) Like, um, I also felt that I was, I think also displeased with a lot of lack of follow through with like protests and efforts for like legislation. Like it felt like, uh, you know, we were going to protest and everything. And then like so many things, it would just cool off and exit the news cycle. And it felt like one of my people was a way to like, you know, of course, hand in hand with like protesting and raising your voice towards those things to continue something to advocate for and like try to affect change long term, as opposed to just being a sensationalized ally. Um, and I felt as a Christian also that there's just I I, I think uh, I'll say boldly that I don't think you can you can be someone who's following Jesus without uh, very emphatically being an ally in in and I think in our American context for these for these matters. Um, so it it was it was it felt like necessity I think for me. Yeah, I love that. Hey, it's Janae. Um, I think for me. I, you know, the, like, I think when I really, like, where it really got started is the pandemic had just started, you know, COVID was just a thing, everything was shut down, and I had to move back home um, from my campus ministry, and I was really able to process, I think, just my experience as, um, I think, a Black woman in our church, you know, and in this campus ministry, and I just started, it was overwhelming for me to really process that experience and really process what had happened. And, um, and then all of this, you know, George Floyd and just, um, all of this stuff started coming up. And I think I was tired of hearing, I'm sorry about your experience. Um, I was really tired of hearing that, um, just pray on it. (laughs) I was really tired of, um, I honestly, white ministers not taking it personally. you know, I think that was really, really obvious to me. Um, and so I, you know, and luckily I have uh, best friends who felt the exact same way and didn't need to be black to do it, you know, and that's just something that um, I think was really special and I'm really, really grateful for. And so we battle a lot of things within our own relationships with people and our, you know, own home churches. But I think that just for me, uh, moving back home and you know, the world literally forcing us to slow down. It really forced me into like my process of processing, if that made sense. And I really was forced to have to think and really forced to really um, analyze the situation I was in. And I realized that I was just unhappy with, um, I agree with Alan, with just the lack of action. Um, I think the lack of 
there was no personal responsibility I felt with our churches and with um, leadership to speak on things that I felt like they so needed to speak on because their congregation consisted of people that this um, affected directly. Um, and so uh, um, I know that we'll talk about it a little bit later, but that's, you know, what prompted the survey, things like that, um, that really prompted at least me to really want to get my hands dirty um, and really just kind of um, speak on these issues so that hopefully like some, some type of change. And if not, you know, hopefully change, but just awareness and to make people kind of stop in their tracks and think maybe I haven't been looking at things the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Rach. Yeah. I think just going off of what everyone has been saying, I think there are multiple factors for me specifically that were like the breaking point. Uh, I think it was kind of like two different things. Like obviously because of the pandemic, everybody was kind of forced to be like so aware of what was going on in the world. And these were already conversations that I think all of us were having, whether it was like in academic spaces or just within friends. Like I think our generation in particular is very connected and very globalized. And because of that, there's a greater sense of like collective empathy, which I think is really cool. Um, but on the flip side, us being in like the church context that we were in, um, yeah, there was just such a lack of, like a lack of action and almost like an intentional inaction. Like it was like, they were trying not to do anything like purposefully about the racial injustice, about so many young people leaving the church. And that's kind of the second part of it too, is so many young people were leaving the church. And I think my friends and I were having these conversations and we were starting to build these connections. And we were like, I think these like seemingly separate things of like what's going on in the world, the lack of empathy the church is having, the lack of action and people leaving, like specifically in our generation, like these things are connected. And so we were having these conversations. So we were like, let's just see what the public thinks. (laughs) And that was kind of the impetus for sending out our survey. And it was like, the results were stark and it was there and it was so prevalent. It was like, yes, there is racism, there is sexism, there is homophobia. There is all of these structural issues that we have never touched as a church. Um, And people just sharing so many experiences. And that was like, probably the most emotionally exhausting like two weeks of my life reading those 1800 responses um hanging out at Megan's house drinking coffee and crying um so yeah so I think it was just kind of like the perfect storm almost to where I was like I cannot stay silent and at the time I was in a position of leadership I was on staff and so like literally when George Floyd happened I was like listen, my church leader, I don't know what we're doing for midweek, but we got to change it up. Like we are not doing whatever the plan is because of it. Like no one is going to be paying attention. Like no one is going to, unless we address this thing. Um, and so I think I, I felt more inclined to do something because also I was like in that position. Um, but yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I, it's interesting, like the fact that you said, like even perfect storm, because I feel like that perfectly describes like everything. Like it, 
that, I mean, the pandemic alone is like life-changing to everyone. And then on top of that, everything that happened during that Black Lives Matter, like those few months of like just everything happening all the time. And it was just, yeah, it was a lot. And um, it makes sense. Like how could it not affect the church? Like how could it not affect um, us because it's affecting everyone around us. Um, yeah. Cause then you, yeah, you had so many things all happening at the same time. And, um, yeah. So I guess when you guys started doing things, so when you guys started speaking up, um, in your different platforms in your different ways with your different ways of doing things even, and, um, I guess what are your, do you guys have specific memories of how, your voice was met with like good or bad reactions. Um, I know that there is a mixture of both and I know that there's like a lot to unpack and we could probably cover this for like hours because this is what we talk about as friends. And I obviously know stories that, um, that you might want to repeat or whatever, but yeah, like, I guess if you guys could figure out how to like sum up what it was like, just like, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, and I think, well, honestly, I feel like what I'm going to say is like quoting Gion almost. I think that our two forums, the first one um, was called Justice in Our Lifetimes, which was about um, racial inequality. And that aired um, spring and summer of 2020. Um, I honestly thought that was received very well by those who viewed the forums. There was a little bit of friction in terms of like advertising for it. Some of like the, because we, we wanted to include, well, I mean, it, it, it was, uh, it was a huge, uh, it was, it was almost shocking that some of the imagery we used to advertise the forums, which was very, to, very clearly to show that we're going to be talking about the issue of, you know, basically the effects of critical race theory in America. Um, and even after George Floyd was murdered, we were still met with, with I'm not going to say a ton because it wasn't really a ton. It was, but just some backlash of like, whoa, these, these, you know, these images are just a little bit, there's a little bit of friction here. Um, but overall, I think the, the, the forum series on race and the issues of racism was received very well. And to quote Gian, it's because we thought that, you know, that went well. But whenever we were going to do a, a forum series on uh, women's roles and gender inequality, that that pill would not be swallowed. Like the rate, like it's at this point, it was easier for the for the audience in the ICOC to kind of say, okay, we have a problem with race, uh, or at least to be able to like possibly admit that. But when it, then when it came to like talking about the gender roles, it was like, oh heck no, like that, that is like, there, you, you can't go anywhere near that. And there was, I would say like more than five times more backlash than the, than the race, than the race forum. Also because our audience was much, much larger and maybe Gian will disagree uh, with my assessment. You agree? Okay, okay. That I was I was worried, but yeah, it, it was like I mean the audience was bigger, but the, like things you know, um, 
you know, like the match hit the gasoline whenever we talked about gender inequality and gender roles, um, because I think it was a little bit more. It seemed like a, a move of humility to admit, OK, maybe we have some issues of racism. Like it was like, OK, like this is like the best move here to for people in power, perhaps be like, yeah, we have issues with racism because that's like a that will help you to admit that. But to 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 admit that maybe you might have some malpractice in gender roles was like uh-uh, not, not going to go there. That was very volatile. I would go even further to say it was easier for leaders to say, oh, I have a black friend than to do anything about anything. You know, like it was very easy for people to grasp onto this idea of like, oh, yeah, I have a black friend. I don't want that to be um, anything bad to happen to them. But doing any of the work towards intersectionality or sustainability or equity for a lot of these black communities was even more difficult. And then it's like you're going further down the line, the farther away you get from that to any other social issue that when you study out these things, you find they're all very interconnected and deeply woven into American society. But the further we moved away from race, the further people were like, all right, you really want me to be a thing I never intended to be, and I'm going to be very mad about it. An episode that I pushed for on the original lineup of when we were discussing racial justice was this episode called A Tale of Two Churches. And the idea was that people, that there are two communities of people in church. There are people that think that everything is great and everything is going well. And then there's a community of people that have just been bogged down by not just how we've addressed uh racial issues but by every issue and just showcasing how deeply traumatizing they can be for marginalized communities or how deeply ingrained a lot of these problematic ideals can be for people it was just very very unfortunate that people's only reaction to that was to condemn us and to condemn anybody who associated with us and to try to shut us down in that way yeah yeah could you guys give like i guess an example or two of like that backlash especially with the with the women's forum like what i guess what form did that take did was it people calling you obviously no names or anything but like yeah um i feel like it took every form possible uh people were emailing us different things people were dming us individually very hateful things um we definitely had a bunch of a couple different spontaneous phone calls or times where even casually i'm like trying to set up hanging out with somebody because i'm visiting them and they would like say hey you know we can't be friends anymore kind of thing um and and i also felt like people's critiques were all over the place as well like to the point that it felt very indicative of just unbridled anger instead of trying to be constructive or trying to or frustrations in learning or whatnot like for example in one of our posters we had a picture of a woman that had a buzz cut and someone was like okay how dare you bring trans issues into the church and one i was like I don't think you should know how many of my friends are trans, but also this has nothing 
to deal with this person's just bald like they like they just seem cool you know and that person like uh message we talked again later and they apologize and they're like wow i was kind of going off the hot seat but there's just so many times where people like <laughs> weren't willing to do that um we had a person we used clips from the movie stepford wives to illustrate the damaging effects of purity culture and uh how it's it's difficult to separate those ideals those like christian ideals from like the horrors that they could inevitably present and uh people thought we were making fun of southern people in general or like this kind of like ballroom niceties and it was always funny to me because like the stepford wives movie takes place in connecticut like it's not in the south at all and i had to explain that to the person and they were like oh i thought this was like yeah you know so different things like that that some were mean, some were just ridiculous and showcased that people just wanted to be angry uh, for different things. Uh, and but and it's and it was and I think the most difficult part of it all is that the noise of everything really blocked out a lot of people that were trying to engage in these conversations very constructively, you know, or people that were like, yeah, you know, I disagree with this, but not in this very inflammatory way. Um, like even in, in terms of our series, we had a lot of different people that like, I, I know for a bunch of it, we were pushing for this idea of like mutuality or whatnot. We included a lot of people that didn't necessarily believe in that or super strictly they just believed that we needed to treat our women better and it just felt like there was no there was no right that we could do in this uh, yeah yeah what i guess just to go off of that a little bit i guess what was i don't know like how how did you you guys deal with that and obviously we want to talk about lifeline and what they went through and just that too but i guess when these phone calls are coming in, when these friends are not wanting to hang out with you and all that, I guess what goes on in your mind, do you have some, some, I guess, conversations where you were like, okay, that's valid. Let's talk about it. Or I guess, cause obviously there is that kind of scale of like, there's some that it's like, you're right. Let's, you know, like, let's talk about it. Or, you know, maybe we disagree, but like, let's talk about it in a civil way. And then there's some people, obviously they're just angry at you for like what seems like no reason um but i guess how how was that for you <laughs> i don't know how else to put that <laughs> whenever it came to like the relational aspect of it with like people that i do know it was really disappointing a lot of times with people that i was very close with and cared about who wouldn't like who wouldn't uh shy away from planting a flag and saying well you know i can't say i'm sorry that i did that i can only say i'm sorry that it hurt you Right, which is a very clear like non-apology, like, um, and so navigating, you know, the loss of like relationships and even just like some of like I, I would definitely say like threats from leadership and some points of like if you keep like uh, like in talking to one of the leaders in the church that I was a part of, they're like, oh, like if you keep doing this, like you know, we can't have this in this church, which is like you know a threat to be like, look, like this this will end with either like, you have to stop this or we're going to be parting ways. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, 
dealing with the relationship, relational ones, the relational losses and conflicts was very difficult um, because it was just, okay, which one of my friends or mentors or, you know, trusted colleagues or whatever are going to, when push comes to shove, uh, like be there with me through thick and thin and which ones are going to have to say, oh, I can't go with you any further. And then, but when it came to people who had, who had, you know, grievances who I didn't know, it's like, if they felt upset, then it's like, okay, I'm sorry, you know, and if they had this critique or whatever, I, 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 I thought that, you know, and I, I guess I could go back and check messages and see if I really went through with it. But I thought I would, you know, bring things up in a meeting and say, hey, someone brought this up. So we should, we should think about this. Yeah. It's a sticky situation. And yeah, I feel you about it's, it's kind of, it surprises you sometimes the kind of relationships that are like, actually, I'm not okay with this. And you're like, wait, what you too? Like, um, I thought we could just maybe agree to disagree. I thought like, these are issues that aren't what we call salvation issues. Like these are, I'm confused, you know, it's just, it, it can be, yeah, it can be a lot. And, um, yeah, I, it, it is sad when it's like not, I guess when it does take away from what you guys are trying to do, it's like, why is it about this? Why is it about the picture we chose? Like, why is it about this random movie that I picked? Like, do you not want to talk about actually what we we're talking about? Like, can we at least have this conversation? Um, which is something that I, I've noticed even with space makers sometimes. And it's like, wait, did you actually listen to the episode or were you just wanting to hone in on that one word that someone said that you're just not okay with and I'm sorry it slipped or something like that. And it's like, okay, is that just you trying to avoid what we're actually trying to talk about? Um, so yeah, Lifeline, do you guys want to kind of speak to that that as well? Kind of the good, the bad, the ugly that you guys went through and I guess speaking a little bit about how you coped with that and then obviously with space makers, um, as well. Um, if anyone wants to jump in. Yeah, I can go. This is Meigs. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely want to start off by saying like, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, all positive or whatever, but like, we definitely wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't worth it, um, to some capacity. And so like, there has been so much good. Um, and we all have our reasons as for like why we do this. Um, and so there's, there's so much good, um, and so many responses and so many moments where I'm like, okay, like this is why, this is why I'm doing this. Um, I think one of the, one of the biggest things that I noticed about, you know, engaging in, um, kind of like, what you might call controversial issues in the church or whatever is this like use of the word divisive. Um, you know, I think both of all, all of us probably have been, that word has been used about us. Um, and I just, yeah, like after we dropped that survey, it was like we were getting phone calls immediately. Like you guys are being so divisive, you know, and, um, and I think that's, what's so interesting about, 
you know, engaging in stuff like this because I would argue that sweeping things under the rug for years and years and years and not talking about things is maybe more divisive than bringing it up. You know, it's like letting racism persist, you know, is probably more divisive than trying to start the conversations for reconciliation. Um, you know, it's that idea of peacemaking and not peacekeeping, you know, and things get a little messy, a little, a little like, you know, it's not, it's not cute having these conversations and it looks a little ugly at first. And that might be confused with, you know, war or, you know, but that's at the end of the day, like after you have that conflict, like there is more peace, um, at the end of that. And so, um, a lot of the times we were, what's the word, um, criticized about how we did things more than we, and which is what you guys were even talking about right before this, we were criticized about how we did things more than what we were even talking about. Um, and I was like, okay, like, can we just redirect? Like, I'm sorry for how we did that, but can we talk about the actual issue? And I just felt like we never even got to end up talking about the actual issue. Like I apologized to people and to different leaders, like over and over, like we had different conversations. I was like, okay, I can totally admit that. Like, I'll say this publicly. I don't care. Like, was the survey a little like, mm, I'm not even going to say, was it a little like intense? Yeah. Did we ask for permission? No. Did I feel like we needed to? No. But like, did it, did it stir things up? Absolutely. Did it cause some stuff? Absolutely. Like, but I don't regret it. (laughs) I don't regret it whatsoever, whatsoever. But I did have to apologize to people, you know, leaders, because we got calls. Like some people were really, really, really mad at us, like really mad at us. And they were like, take it down right now. Like, you know, whatever. Um, And we were like, no, <laughs> like, no. Um, and so I had to apologize. Like, I'm sorry that this is hurting your feelings and I'm sorry that you're feeling this way, but like, there's like a bigger issue. Like, I'm not going to take it down because this is a space where people are feeling safe to express themselves. And I'm not going to shut that down just because your feelings are getting hurt right now, because you're feeling like this is personal and it's not personal. Like this is a bigger issue that has a little bit to do with you, like take ownership for what has to do with you, but a lot of it doesn't have to do with you. Like your name is not brought up in this unless it is, but like, like 90% of people did not put names. So like, you know what I'm saying? So it's just, I just feel like we, we, we apologize so much for the how, but the conversation never, ever got to the what. And it's so crazy because this was like the one thing right after the, right after their survey dropped, we got so many about how did you like, how could you do this? How could you do this? And blah, 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 blah. blah, Right. And I was like, not one person was like, oh my gosh. Like, and I'm talking about like leadership, right? Maybe this is spicy to say, but whatever. Um, Not one person was like, oh my gosh, what's in there? Like, oh my gosh, I'm so heartbroken. Like, 
oh my gosh, that many people filled it out. Like, please, like, just like what's in there. Like not one person asked us like, I got like, I'm like, I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Like all of it was like, shut it down, you know? And I was like, you should be heartbroken about the fact that this is even like, like, you know, so I was like, you guys are so mad that it even exists, but you're not mad about the contents. Like people are expressing like such deep seated hurts. So anyways, all of that to say, like, I just think that there's so much emphasis. And I think this happens on a macro level, you know, with, things like this, but it also happens on like a very individual level too, where it's like, oh, like it's not about this, but it's just like how you said that sentence, you know what I'm saying? Or it's like, oh, like, you know, so just, it just happens, um, on a micro level. And, um, and just to like, I guess to like remind the listeners, this survey was literally just them asking Hey, like, what was your experience in the church if you're in it or you're out of it? Like, it was, it was very open ended. I like, yes, maybe there were more questions about the negatives and the positives, but that was kind of the point of the survey. Just to remind listeners that it was literally them asking people, hey, are we crazy or do you see these issues too? That was what the survey was. Right. And like, yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Cause a lot of people didn't, who are listening, haven't, didn't see the survey. So thanks for that, Isabel. So yeah. Um, that's just something that I noticed. And the last thing that I noticed was just that when, um, and you know, this also might be spicy, but I'm just going to say it anyway, cause I think it should be said. And it's something to take note of if when people and people in power feel like they can't control something, they will do everything they can to defame it. And to defame the character of it. And so that's why they use language that has biblical standing of like, that's divisive, you know, even if maybe it's not because they don't want the the group to give it any weight, you know? And so if they can't control it, they can't control what we say on social media you know, because we're not in leadership or whatever, which some of us are now, but you know, when they just, when they can't control it, they want to, they want to decredit it. They want to delegitimize it so that people don't listen, you know, and that happens all the time. Um, and we'll go into that, you know, probably later in the podcast, but that's just what I wanted to say. Right. Which is funny because like, I think maybe Alan mentioned it even earlier that it's interesting how so much negative feedback came from people who didn't even listen um, because that is something that I've noticed a lot with space makers. I, th- I get the most bad feedback from the people who have literally never listened to an episode or have listened to like one, um, which is really interesting, um, because they're also the ones that are going around and telling people, other people not to listen, going around telling people things that aren't true about our podcast. Um, and then it's like, Hey, have you heard it? Um, which is really funny because I've also heard a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, actually, I didn't want to listen. But then once I did, I was like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think that's funny, too. It's just like, wow, we are not meeting on like there's no I don't know. There's no even like starting this conversation because you're mad that we're even talking. Um so yeah, no, that was great, Meigs. Um, and then Rach wanted to add something. Yes. Um, just really quickly, I think 
Yeah, it's Rachel. But um, yeah, I think something that I also really noticed during this time of just talking to so many leaders was this idea of not being listened to unless we came measured. And I think that was looking back, that was such a power move because us young women, people of color, like being in these spaces and these rooms with just going to say it, white, old men in privilege, like there is a very clear power dynamic going on there. And I think it's just so interesting that whenever I would get advice about how to talk to people and what I should say in these meetings, because I think like a lot of us talk to all all the leaders, but um, I think I faced the brunt of talking to (laughs) a lot of leaders at the beginning. And I think it was because I was on staff, but it was just, if I didn't come measured, if I didn't say things a certain way, if I didn't say things in a way that was pleasing to them or kind of like, like, yeah, just like I was, the expectation, the expectation on me was to come with humility. Um, I had the expectation that it would be mutual humility. That expectation was not reciprocated. And so I think that was really tough for me because I was like, why me? Why is the onus on me to come correct, to become measured, to come humble, to know my stuff? Um, and then if you hear something that you don't like, then all of a sudden it's my fault all over again, even though I am the one that is being oppressed. I don't know. So uh, I think that was such an interesting, just going off of what Nick said about power dynamics, like those were very clearly at play. And I think on the flip side, like what kept me going and what kept me like wanting to still have those conversations were the people who are like you, I processed so much writing in your survey and like sharing my experience. I've never said this to anybody. We created spaces where people could like meet each other and like process their (laughs) trauma together. Like, I think like, it's just something so beautiful when people who are marginalized and are like oppressed, like come together and share that communal experience, even though it's out of those power dynamics. Like, I think that is ultimately what kept us going, but yeah, definitely a huge thing was even though the onus was on us to bring things up, it wasn't necessarily reciprocated in the sense of mutual humility, even though people were telling that to me. And um, and then out of that, there wasn't much action. It turned very personal. It turned into, okay, I'm glad we could reconcile, Rachel. And I was like, that was not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation was for you to do something about this because you were the one in power. And they're like, wow, I'm so glad that we reconciled. Like, I'm glad that we could be friends and we could move forward together. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I feel like this group on this call yeah, we've like all spent hours and hours talking to lots and lots of people in in the church and a lot, a lot of leadership um, come and talk to us. Some, I, I have some like better experiences than others, um, but it's definitely, it teaches you a lot to be in these kind of like conflict spaces, to be talking to a lot of people who are upset with what you're saying 
even though there's so, so, so many people who are so grateful for what you guys did and are doing. And um, I can name so many people who have benefited from everything that you guys have done. Um, obviously, it doesn't mean that you guys are perfect because you've already mentioned things that you like, are like, I don't know, maybe we could have done this differently and things like that. But it is this like learning experience. And it's been cool kind of learning alongside you guys and learning from you guys about like how to handle different things. Um, are there any other lessons that you can think of that you learned along the journey of speaking up and um, kind of being in these like very tense spaces with a lot of people kind of in power and stuff. Shout out to Kay McKean. I had a great conversation with her um, in trying to plan the final episode of the series. Um, And she left me with this idea of that there are deep, deeply traumatic emotions at play here, but that in some level, we have to be responsible about giving people an opportunity to like heal from these type of things and to move forward from them. And I think that was one of the biggest learning moments for me because it also showed me, well, one, how deeply painful a lot of these conversations are in a way that I really had not expected. And, uh, that in many ways that a lot of the things that I was doing and saying was off the cuff of trauma that me and my peers had experienced that had then just been tossed to the wayside because of the, uh, the apathy that we would receive in these things. If anything, it made me very empathetic to people that just fortunately just don't have the language to understand these kind of things. Um, like our scripture that we based wound of my people on and is uh, Jeremiah 614. They dress the wound of my people as though it weren't serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Um, but then in this illustration, uh, Kay pointed out to me, I, I really wasn't aware of this before that, but that like chapter, like two chapters later, this verse is reiterated and, uh, Underneath it, they said, is, isn't there, is there no balm in Gilead? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? And the balm in Gilead is this consistent uh, image of Christ that's used uh, of just a healer of, or, or the ultimate form of healing for a people that needs it. And in some ways it was also like a reminder of like, well, like, look, you know, we talked about social justice and then there was this idea of healing or whatnot, but it reminded me that, yeah, you know, that, that the sun will come up tomorrow and that Jesus is really not just about a freeing people in a revolutionary way, but freeing people through that healing process as well. So it was a good conversation, but yeah. Yeah, this is Janae. And I think kind of the angle that I kind of wanted to take this is things that I learned about, um, I think, church and people. And then um, I think the boundaries that I had to create within myself in order to not just get, um, I think, angry and bitter to the point of no return to where it really impacted my life and my relationship with God. And, you know, um, 
allowing other people to make decisions for myself. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I learned is that we do not do well with grief and trauma, which is something that we've all said, you know, on here. Um, and that people in the church can be uncomfortable with other people's grief. If the point is just to share their grief, you know, like if there's not a direct pipeline to saying that you got over it with or without an apology, the church can see that as sinful. You know, we're not, we're very like church can be so uncomfortable with lamenting. And I was like, and that's just something I realized that, you know, as I was talking to these leaders and as I'm in a leader position, leadership position now, I'm like, if I don't come with like, it's not enough. I've realized just to say that I was hurt or that this is what I'm going through. I have to have this solution as to how I got over it. I have to have this, you know, well thought out and biblical response to these leaders of like, okay, but. God, you know, helps me to persevere and not that any of that is untrue, but there's just this uncomfortability with people just saying, I was hurt by this institution. I was hurt, you know, that we don't, we, we can't talk about it. And, you know, we talk about violence outside of the church and then, you know, specifically these two groups are trying to talk about violence that's in the church in the form of racism and sexism and uh, religious manipulation that is in your ministry, you know, and like we have receipts, we have locations. I'm going to just say that like with the survey we do. And it was disappointing that, you know, there were so many people that were so unconcerned with even just that fact, you know, and I just feel like we always say that the church is made of sinful people, but then we don't acknowledge that these sinful things are in the church because of these sinful people. And we don't acknowledge that these things, these sinful things are in the church in general. So I'm like, so these sinful people that we always say that, you know, they're like, okay, but like the church is made of sinful people. And that's used as a bandaid to cover up when, you know, racism and sexism and misogyny and religious manipulation are here, you know, but I'm like, okay, so if we can acknowledge that sinful people are there, where's their sin going? You know what I mean? Like these sinful people are here, where's their sin going? It They're perpetuating that, you know? Um, yeah, you know, Megan is saying it's going under the rug 100%. And we're tripping over it at this point. We're just tripping over it. Um, so I think I just learned like, that um, I learned all of those things. I 100% agree with what um, Rachel said, that delivery is everything. I have to fight for my life in every single conversation that I have with my, with a leader. Um, otherwise it's just not valid. Somebody being hurt is not enough to convince people that there needs to be change. You know, it was almost like if they weren't hurt biblically, like whatever that means, um, their hurt wasn't worth it to even acknowledge it or apologize. Um, and you know, I think to kind of get off this like ranty fire, you know, I think I'm also learning (laughs) that um, God will get behind things that he wants to succeed. And I think that is so important to realize that some, I feel like that some people, again, this is not a leadership bashing thing. (laughs) That's not what we're trying to do. However, we all have experienced a lot of that, a lot of hurt and sin from leadership. And that's why we're talking about this. This isn't, you know, something that happened with maybe one or two of the leaders in our personal ministries. We had calls from around the country 
each group had calls from around the country, from leaders that are from around the world, from leaders that are mad that we're bringing up these sinful things in the church. And why are you not mad that these sinful things are in your church in the first place? That is concerning. And if that is something you are not concerned with, that is alarming. And that is not something that God stands behind at all. So why we're so confident that we're doing the right thing is because Jesus stood for the marginalized. Jesus stood for the oppressed. And as we're bringing these things to you, that it's not just us, we sat through 1800 responses. Me, Megan and Rachel read through each and every one because everybody deserved to have somebody read it. And we had to take breaks because, you know, and we had to take breaks because it was so heartbreaking. There was abuse. There was racism. There was misogyny. There was fat phobia. There was so many different things. And it was just too much to not say anything. And so I think I'm just learning that at the end of the day, I feel like we are doing God's work. I feel like God is behind these things because it's not stopping. And God is bigger than every, every one of us. And if he wanted to stop this, he would. But this movement is happening because he wants this to, to we want, he wants this to keep going. He wants us all to do this together. He doesn't want this to be, why is us calling attention to these issues divisive? I don't understand that at all. So I think I wasn't planning on going this long, but I'm just saying I I feel God's presence in each one of these groups. I'm so proud to be part of this movement, um, to be one of those people. We've all been labeled as, oh, we're one of those people. I would, I'm, so proud to be one of those people because we are one of those people to God as well. So that's it. So that's it. <laughs> I'm going um, home. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. I think one of the things that this, I think this almost kind of um, leads on from, from, from what Janae was saying is um, one of the, one of the most, uh, I don't know. It just, it, after so much reuse of it just got so just really became my biggest pet peeve pet peeve was um just the the misuse of of the proof texting of matthew 18 of like how to deal with sin in the church um which i think i think honestly everyone is familiar with everyone like i because because of all the things that have been going on the past couple years it's like one of the most popular scriptures that's referred to. Um, but, you know, as it says, if basically if there's a conflict, go to them and if, you know, go to them personally and if it isn't resolved, take another. And then if it hasn't, if you still haven't been reconciled, take it before the whole church, this whole thing. And in many instances, there was a lot, like some of the feedback we get, especially, especially from leaders, pretty much only leaders was like, you bringing these issues up in a in a public forum is not following like the protocol of Matthew eighteen, um, which to me after just after just being told that and hearing that, uh, just became one of the most disrespectful, just awful things to say because it assumes so so little of those people who are sharing things that they've experienced and how they've been hurt. Like it it just immediately assumes that if somebody's on a wound of my people forum sharing, mind you, you know, anonymous 
uh, in terms of both where they experienced something and who they experienced it with stories of like, you know, for instance, uh, you know, someone would say I as a black woman experienced this type of, um, you know, trend in the church that was negative, right? Uh, and to immediately say, oh, they're not following Matthew 18, what that does is it assumes, you know, completely that this person did not, <laughs> hasn't already tried going to people individually and going to their leaders and talking to friends and and maybe talking to the perpetrators of the people that hurt them. And it immediately assumes the least of them and their efforts. And it also establishes a protocol for the victim, but not the offender. Like, there's nothing said about, like, again, like, like somebody said, like, you know, you got these 1800 responses, and we're not thinking about what do they say instead? It's like, well, why are you why are you publishing this? We're so quick to say, well, is the victim doing the right thing here? What about, why isn't the victim here following protocol? Are they really a victim? They need to prove they're a victim because maybe we need to hear the other side of the story when there's just, you know, why, 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 why isn't there any protocol in a moment like that for, wow, what if like the fact that there are so many people who are saying they've been experiencing these things, maybe they're telling the truth, you know? If not just because we should like believe them, but also because there's so many people saying the same things. Um, one person that I really respect told me is like, you know, it's like uh, it, it's like asking a, a woman who's in an abusive relationship uh, to go through protocol in terms of how she addresses dealing with being abused. It's just like to say at a certain point that someone needs to like re-enter the Matthew 18 protocol is is just I think it's egregious. And honestly, like the one thing that I, I, I want leaders to like consider about this subject is asking themselves, why is it easier for your congregants to talk to us about these things than it is to talk to you about these things? Like, why are you getting mad at us for being the people that your own congregants feel safe with. I don't know any of these people, but the types of, you know, we've all gotten emails and phone calls and text messages from people of like, oh my gosh, I feel so seen by what is being said. But even worse so of like, hey, I don't know if you're ready for me to like emotionally dump on you, but I don't know. I, have any, I don't have anyone else to do it. So here you go. And it's just life stories in the DMs of people that have been completely de decimated by leaders that I'll see on like on, on TV, basically when I go to conferences of like talking about, Oh, these are the great unifiers or the great uh, counselors or the great, these are the people you go to and have an issue in the church. And it's like the one reason that was cited when we, me and Alan met a lot of, um, pushback in our own home region was this idea of, oh, we're trying to replace the eldership. This idea of, oh, we're doing the elder's job because people are coming to us. And I'm like, we didn't sign up for this. The elders are scary. They're literally, I literally have panic attacks when I'm preparing to talk to some of these elders and even trying to talk to them about that, like even the system is, is, is flawed. Like, how can I talk to an elder about that 
deeply traumatic thing. Like I've tried, it has not gone well. And I've tried to call other people for help and they've been like, you're in good hands or whatnot and click and call. And I'm honestly grateful that all of us have a really strong sense of emotional health and, and have been able to build boundaries to these type of things because we're also like forgetting that we've created a, a church culture that has told people not to create boundaries between all these things. They're like, church is your life. These people are your family. They'll never hurt you. Uh, not like all these other different people you experience in the world, you know, come to our congregation. And I feel like a lot that's where a lot of the trauma is coming from as well in our church that we told a generation of kids that they had nothing to be afraid of. And then we decimated them. And then now we're here like, oh my gosh, they're so mad. I'm like, it's enough to make you go insane, honestly. Yeah. I just like, I don't know. I, I guess I just wish that there was even some type of like toolkit or like even just like verbiage for people to be able to be like, oh, you like I hurt you. That does not mean that I'm a horrible person. It doesn't mean that I'm worthless. It just means I hurt you and let's talk about it and let's deal with it. Cause I think maybe that's, I don't know. Cause I've been doing a lot of work trying to like even figure this out for myself with all the um, backlash that I've been receiving of like, okay, like how can we, how can we remember that we are people, we are, we are worthy, we are loved, we are all these things. And like, yeah, we mess up. So let's look at that. But that doesn't mean that's who we are. And I think that's part of like what makes it so scary to admit that we were wrong. Because I think for me, like my thing was like, oh, if I'm wrong, that means I'm a bad person. That means I'm trash or whatever. And it's like we can separate those things. And like kind of in the same way, like when I see people, I don't know, because it is hard to be talked about, to be gossiped about and everyone in this room has been or in the Zoom call has been. We've been preached about like all this stuff by people who literally don't know us, um, which is definitely a bond <laughs> that we have and um, joke about. Um, but like even then I tried to like do it as best as I can at like being like, oh, it's it's not about me. Like it's hard. It's hard because I, I feel like I can take it to be like, oh, my gosh, they hate me. But I'm like, no, they they hated that I that I poked at this specific thing that they did not want it want poked or like you know we're talking about like brushing things under the rug and it's like no they just they 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 kept pushing things under the rug they tripped and then they got mad at me because I pointed out hey it's because of this rug <laughs> you know and it's like they should be mad about the rug <laughs> about the stuff that's under the rug um I don't know. So trying to like figure that out in my brain and I, I'm part of why I think I admire you guys a lot is because I think you guys do a great job of like having nuance with all of it, you know, like processing all of it, working through it, doing your own work with your own mental health, your own growing, your own like, I don't know, figuring out your own like life and what 
all these things mean for you as well as having all these hard conversations because I think it's so easy to let these things spiral and it's like oh I'm just this big ball of like angry monster but (laughs) I'm like it's been cool to see like the the maturity with talking to different people and leaders and then and then the maturity to have boundaries and the maturity to be able to like figure things out for yourselves um and work through these things that can be really hard um wound of my people and um lifeline you guys both like cover so many different issues and i guess from what you've learned over the past few years when is it like I don't know. When is it worth it? When is it worth it to fight? And when is it worth, when is it, oh, I have to pick my battles. And when is it a third option? Yeah. I think there isn't like a linear process to like whether it's worth it and when it's like not. Like I think it just comes with the situation. Like for me, um, it's always worth it because of like community was built. And the people who felt like they were exiled specifically from this church context or um, who felt like they didn't have a place or they felt they didn't feel seen. They like started to feel those things after the work that we were doing and the things that we were speaking up for. And we made lifelong friends. We strengthened bonds. We were able to kind of fine tune these relationships. And I think that is so beautiful and always so worth it when people do feel like they have a space like in this podcast. Um, but I definitely think the voices can get too much. And I think it can get like, for me, I think what was the tipping point of like, okay, like I need to start picking and choosing my battles is when the voices of all of these leaders or whoever I was talking to elders, teachers, whatever were trumping my own voice and also like gods like there was a very clear moment where I was like I don't think this is what is needed of me anymore like I don't think that like the way that I am doing this or like like it was needed at the beginning and it was good but now I think can rest and now I think can focus on the people and what they need and being a safe space for others and like I kind of have made this argument before, but it's like in, in any field of social justice, like it's, it's so easy to get bogged down by all of like the structural change that needs to happen because it's like, oh, like this is so big and it's such a big structural change that needs to happen. But I think like having more of like an, not an individualistic mindset, like in the way that we think of individualistic mindset, but it's more so like, okay, how can we impact like one person at a time? And make space for them in this moment and like what does God actually require of us you know um and I think once I realized that these conversations and at the end of the day like honestly the ICOC was the biggest barrier to my own faith I was like this is when I need to leave and this is and it's okay because I did my thing (laughs) and I did my best and that's all God really requires of us is for us to try and do our best and fail and mess up and get back up and build relationships. So yeah, I don't think it was ever like a linear thing, but I think it's kind of all goes hand in hand with each other. So that's all I have to say. 
I love that. Thanks for um, talking about that, Rach. Um, yeah, this is Meigs. Um, I think for me, I think there's like two parts to this that I really heard our listeners talk about or like wrestle with, I guess, which is like having boundaries with um, like activism and like when to push and, you know, choosing your battles with like, okay, you know, like within, but then also like kind of what Rachel was just talking about, like when, like, when do I stay? And then just, when do I go? You know, like there's kind of like both parts, like just choosing your battles, but like leaving isn't really a part of that, that equation. But then there's that whole other part of like, it's just constant. And at this point, like, like Rachel just said, like there comes a point where maybe this specific church community is like hurting your faith more than it's even helping. Um, And I think I can only speak for me where the first part um, boundaries for my personal like activism. I kind of hate, I don't know if I like, I don't know how I feel about using that word for this type of stuff. I don't really know, but I don't know what to call it. (laughs) So I'm just going to call it activism, but I don't really know what word to use. Um, But I know for me, like um, I have gotten to, and this is literally just for me. So definitely um, don't project what I'm saying onto other people and be like, oh, this is what must be going on with them. But I know for me, just because, you know, we have been doing this for a while, I can get really jaded. Um, and I can just get really angry and bitter. Um, and I can just become somebody that I really don't like or recognize. Um, I'm naturally just like a pretty, um, lighthearted person, you know? And, um, so for me, when I'm like, okay, when do I engage and when I not, um, something that I recently just like, I was in a pretty bad place, like last week, honestly. Um, and I was reminded of first Corinthians 13 that talked about like, this is going to be a terrible paraphrase. Um, but like you could have all of these gifts. Um, and I kind of switched that to like, you know, all these opportunities or all of these, you know, things that you're doing or the gifts that God, you know, maybe gave you that you're using or whatever. But if you don't have love, like you're just a bunch of noise. Um, And I think I've caught myself to like not have love at certain points um, where I'm just have indignation, um, which is a good thing. There's a there's a really good part of indignation. But um, I think for me, I can just be. I don't know. I I just think that I can be without love sometimes uh, in the way that I do things. And so for me, that's when I know that I like need to stop because God is love. And, um, if I'm trying to do something that, um, is full of the spirit and is part of, you know, restoring things back to the garden or, um, you know, restorative justice or doing things like social justice, which I believe is God's work. Like I can't do that like without love, like it can't be fueled by, um, hate or like malice or things like that. So that's just me, but that's not what most people are doing. So that can't be extrapolated to other people. Um, so I don't, that's just me, but some people might resonate with that. Um, so I know that I have to have boundaries 
when I'm getting into that place of like the world is just dark and everything is sucks and everything is terrible. Like I just need to take a step back and take a week to just not do anything, not, you know, do stuff like that. So, um, but I know a lot of people, um, who have maybe felt that way where they're just like everything, just, I have no hope right now. And it's good to just take a step back and be like, the work will still be there when you, like when you're done resting, like the work is never over. Um, and then in terms of like, whether the church is still the ICOC in particular, like is still the place for you. Like the church is so much bigger than the ICOC and the church is people, you know, like find your people that can be literally in so many different places and places that you wouldn't have ever expected. And so like, just write down, like, what is important for me for church? And like, where can I find that? That might not be here. Um, and just, am I getting that where I am right now? Um, cause I think we can get so fixated on it has to be, it has to be here. You know, I'm a ride or die here, you know, but if we look at what church is even supposed to be for, um, we'll be like, Oh, I actually haven't felt that in a really long time or whatever, you know, or that might not be the case, but, um, yeah, you can find, you can find that community in so many interesting spaces that you might not have ever guessed. So, um, yeah, those are just things that I was thinking about. Yeah. Um, I so appreciate that. Um, what all of my friends have said, because all of that is their truth. Um, and I resonate with all of that. I think for me personally, I have just, um, I think when it comes to boundaries, being in a leadership position, I have seen the humanity of leadership. And that is a good and a bad thing (laughs) for both of those things. I think I've seen, um, you know, everybody is doing their best and everybody is human, you know, and I think it's really easy to, um, be angry and be mad and you know what? And sometimes you just need to be, I think just putting that out there sometimes, you know, there's a time to be angry. There's a time to be mad. And I think if you don't allow yourself those things, if you don't allow yourself to be able to process and to feel your full scope of emotions, um, I think it's just going to come around and bite you later, you know? Um, but I feel like what's really helped me in different conversations is really, um, and it sounds like it's not a boundary, but it it was a boundary that I had to put up for myself is to just, what's the motivation behind me talking to this person? And it was, okay, so is this just to just roast them? <laughs> my motivation is to roast you. My motivation is to embarrass you. I have a really sharp tongue and that is a blessing curve, you know? <laughs> and I, you know, I just feel like I'm, you know, I, I know what to say and how to say it. And I just feel like if my motivation is to, at the end of the day, I'm like, I just want them to just feel hurt. That's not a, that's not a godly thing. You know, however, if I'm like, you know what, my motivation is that they can, you know, I want them to be convicted or, you know, to hear the plight of, 
you know, the marginalized, the oppressed or, you know, or whatever it is, or just to, um, maybe help, you know, change their heart, whatever it is. When I change my motivation, things change. My heart changes when it comes to who I'm talking to, you know? And I think I really resonate with what Meek said that like love, like all, all of us at one point, you know, we're, was trying to change, you know, this specific church, if that's what we're going to talk about, you know, you know, the ICOC, because we wanted this to be better because at one point it was a home for all of us, whether or not it is still, or is not any, you know, anymore at one point it was a home for all of us. And we, at, you know, at one point tried, you know, are have tried or are currently trying to make it still make it a safe place, you know, for people. And that's just been the goal. And so I feel like for me, what's helped me to not just fall off the deep end and to anger and bitterness and stuff, I can just feel like the goal is still, you know, to make it a safe place to be able to um, love God. And I think also just the last thing, what's really helped me to be like, okay, like ICOC, not ICOC. I was just like, Janae, like you're a Christian without ICOC. (laughs) Like you love God without, without this. And that is me even, you know, at this you know, point in time, I'm still in ICOC and I'm a Christian without it. And I'm so confident in that fact, um, that these, this is a community and it can be, um, a harmful community, but it can also be a very great community. I've met a lot of people. Um, I met my best friends through it, you know, and with or without the community, I'm still a Christian. I still love God, you know, and, you know, nobody can say anything to take that fact. No matter how hard people have tried to say things to take that fact away from me, they can't, nobody has the power to do that. Um, So I think that's all I want to say is just like what, you know, echoing what my friends have said. um, If things are causing you more harm than faith, I think take a good look at it. And um Nobody else can decide that for you. Nobody else should be able to decide that for you. Uh, and God is supposed to be safe. God is supposed to be safe for people. God is not supposed to be shameful for people. God is not supposed to be too big for people to where, you know, they can't understand something that he's trying to tell them and they need somebody else to interpret God for them. You know, like God is, is, is not like that at all. Yeah. And uh, quickly, I just wanted to even add to that, like, love everything you're sharing, Nay. Um, and that, yeah, our, our, our walks, our Christian walks have nothing to, to do with the ICOC sticking around or, or changing or evolving or whatnot. Um, and, you know, we're so blessed to have like I wouldn't have met any of you amazing people if it wasn't for the ICOC. Like I, I've met the people that I want my kids to know through the ICOC that um, that are just like full life. You know what I mean? Like we all need to get matching uh, leather jackets after this or something. Um, but I think I think uh, one thing 
uh, when it comes to boundaries. And I also love that, like, the question was, like, when you want to, when do you fight or when do you, uh, like, learn to not not do that? And we all took it to, like, oh, so staying or leaving in the in the ICFC, you know, because, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just because for like the it, it can feel like for many people, the more you study this out, you the more you see that like the ICOC has become a huge stumbling block for a lot of people. There's, I mean, like outside of even congregations within it that are like on the DL, moving away from that label and moving away from a lot of the rhetorics, you know. It can be very explosive for people who do it publicly. But the one thing that really helped me in building this boundary and realizing that I've like, not even that I need to leave the ICOC, but that I've already left it is because of the community that was growing outside of it, that I felt like I could be involved with without feeling like I needed to cut ties with my family that's still in the ICOC. Like I think one of the biggest shames of the IC, ICOC is this rhetoric of you're either in or you're out. You know, it's either you're for us or you're against us. So we'd have a, all this discourse of like, oh, they weren't for us or whatnot, instead of talking about the people who really aren't, weren't like didn't go about this lifestyle or uh, to be adamantly against the ICOC or whatnot. And I think I was very afraid. Like I knew that I had different levels of pain and levels of hurt over these things, but I was afraid of really taking that stand of saying like, Hey, I don't think I can attend these things anymore for my own mental health and for my own relationship with God because I thought it meant for I for years I thought it meant that wow I'm never going to see my family again like I'm never going to see the people that I love ever again or they're going to demonize me or look at me in this this really dreadful way um and I was completely stuck and I'm just so grateful that that has loosened and that's ultimately what I want to do with my walk is to show people that like we can be like Christians without borders, you know, and that ultimately like that. I love a lot of people that are still there and I'm invested in them. Um, and I'm super grateful for people that are invested in me still. Um, and that there is no feeling of, Oh, that I've lost community because of that, because we all serve the same God. We're all in the same fight. So what are we putting labels on different things for? Like, cue the high school musical song. Like, come on, we're doing it. Let's, yeah, I want, yeah, let's all cheer and do the dance together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to trans smoothly transition to the last question from there. So I'm just not going to smoothly transition. All right, last question. <laughs> so I guess... I think a lot of people who listen to our podcast and probably a lot of people who consume y'all's content as well, um, I get a lot of questions about like, I don't know, like how to make change in their local congregation, how to have conversations, how to 
um, fight for the issues that they care about and things like that, which obviously, like, I feel like we've tried every single different way that you can. And so I feel like we kind of know which ways kind of work a little bit better than others. We've done the ways that didn't work. We've done the ways that worked. Um, Yeah. What would you say to them? I think this is not the answer people are going to want to hear, but but there are so many different approaches into how to start an acting change. And like one of those things could literally just be like, if you're in, if you're in the context of the ICOC and you're like in a small group, like make that a safe space, like start there, start with the people who are immediately in your life. Like, um, talk about the things that you want to talk about, bring up the issues that you want to talk about. Like, it doesn't always have to look like I'm set up a leader with the, or I set up a meeting with this leader and we're going to talk about things like that is also a possible approach. But I think something that I would have wanted to hear, like, okay, it doesn't always have to be like this top down, like, but some people do have that heart for like the let's hit the ground running. Let's ruffle some feathers. Let's talk to people. Let's make these meetings. And that's also good too. So I think like starting with yourself, and starting with your motivations and starting with um, like, what exactly are you wanting to achieve? Um, because it could be in like your local space or it can be this bigger thing. Um, like God blesses both, I think. And I've seen him bless both in, and even just our own efforts. And so um yeah. And one isn't necessarily better than the other either or more effective than the other. Um, it just is based off of what your focus is. Um, so I'm sorry, I don't have a concrete answer. I love concrete answers, but it really just depends on the person. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think um, find your people and you probably already have, you know, like talk to your friends about it. Talk to some people. Um I would say talk to your family about it if you can. I would say also, like, especially talk to people outside of the church. I think one of the things that's really important is getting a perspective of, like, what's actually healthy or not. Like, what's, like, there's a lot of times it's like, is this normal or not? Like, is this okay or not? What's going on? Like, um, like talk to your mom <laughs> about, like, what's going on, you know, if, if, if that's, like, you know, something that you're able to do you know, like, to, or, you know, or, or like a sibling or somebody, you know, I think, um, and it doesn't like you have to talk to somebody outside of the church, but I think it's really helpful just to get a perspective of something that, you know, every church has their own, every community, not even a church has its own culture and lingo and way things go and habits that, you know, once they become ingrained and internalized, you know, you kind of stop noticing them. And so it's always good to try to get somebody else's fresh perspective. Uh, not because it's going to make you leave or going to make you lose your faith or anything to like have an outside counsel. But I think it's because it's like, oh, wait, no, like that's actually not okay. The same thing if like, you, if you're like, you know, you talk to a best friend about your romantic relationship, like, oh, this is going weird. Like, is this weird? It's like, yeah, they totally shouldn't do that. Like, that's, yes, that's weird. Um, so I, I think that's, I think that like that in one world, it's just one word is just being vulnerable um, and doing your due diligence of like, not just like, 
you know, assuming that things are just fine. It's it's fine, you know, uh, or this or that. It's like, uh, it really might not be, you know. Uh, especially, like, therapists are great for that. And, like, noticing, oh, that's, like, like, that's, like, oh, wait, no, that's weird that, like, that that's going on in either your church or your job or your relationships or your health. It's, like, yeah, you know, somebody just needs to have some eyes on you having your eyes on something else. So that's such a good one. Um, just going to therapy. That was like one of the biggest things that like, yeah, I was like, ah, okay. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's so good. Alan. Um, I know for me, um, I get, I mean, I've heard a lot of people, uh, ask me this question and, or they say, I've done this and it's gone absolutely nowhere. And I'm so discouraged. And this thing is like, they're, they start to, you know, try stuff. Um, and again, you can do literally whatever you want, whatever you're passionate about. And everybody has a different, um, what's the word stamina, like, you know, people have different capacities for different things, you know? So some people love doing certain things more than others, but I've seen more frequently that people burn out more quickly doing the, uh, having meetings with leadership, constantly trying to change things. Um, I've seen people burn out really quickly doing that more consistently. Um, and so just, a suggestion, again, you can literally do whatever you want, but a suggestion would be, um, kind of what Rachel was saying just to, um, empower people, like empower the other people around you, um, that have similar interests or like, maybe they think completely different than you. And it's like, Hey, like, how about, you know, kind of like what Rachel said, like, what if our like yo pros group, like just studied out this, you know, for a little bit, or, um, you and your friends, you know, all did this. And so once you empower a group of people, it's a lot harder for leadership to dismiss a whole group of people versus just one. And so, um, that's probably one of my biggest, uh, suggestions, I guess, for change making is like more of a grassroots approach to things um, versus just automatically trying to change things. Unless you're somebody that does have a lot of influence that leadership just automatically listens to use that, use that, use that, use that. If you have influence already, please use that because a lot of people don't have that and they don't have the ear of people who do have the, um, potential to make decisions or, um, you know, actually change things. And so if you are one of those people that's like, I actually do think I could change, you know, somebody's mind or at least get them to reconsider some things, definitely use that um, positionality uh, to help other people um, or to just, you know, get more people at that table um, and get those voices um, heard. So yeah, that's, that's mine. Yeah, that was so good. Uh, this is Nay. And I 100% means kind of took what I was going to say, but that's because I have smart friends. Um, but 
the grassroots thing is so, so uh, important. And also just what's important to you, you know, like what is something that you're passionate about? Because it goes so much farther if you're passionate about it, you know, and I, I think it could be something as small as asking your, you know, church leadership, like, Hey, so these mass shootings have been happening. Are we going to address that at church or, Hey, this, you know, um, this is what, this is how I feel about, you know, this topic. Can we, you know, can we talk about it and just to get it on their radar? And this is, you know, I'm going to try to kind of appeal to leaders who are listening right now. And we're going to have, um, you know, you know, in the future, um, kind of like a leader's thing, but I think make yourself available, make yourself available for people to talk to you about things in the first place. Um, I think you are not, and I say this with an abundance of love, you are not as approachable as you think you are as leaders. You really are not, you are not as approachable as you think you are. You are not as endearing and warm as you think you are. And that is not to say that you are scary or cold or whatever, but because you, because of your position in the church and because of your authority, you are not just a person, you know? And I think leaders, you know, we can say like, we're just people. Why can't they just come and talk to us? You're not, you are not just people because we have the culture that we have created in this church is undeniable that leaders are not just people. And nobody wants to be labeled as, you know, struggling. Nobody wants to be labeled as, you know, whatever it is, as divisive as whatever, you know? And so I think opening it up to even just say like, Hey, we can talk about this or being curious yourself. What are some topics that my congregation might care about? If you have people of color in your congregation, and I hope all of you do, uh, (laughs) everything that is happening when it comes to social justice is something that you need to care about. Um, and it's, it's just a fact, you know, in leadership, especially. Yes. And so if you have people in your congregation, all of these different issues that we're talking about affect people. And so you need to care. Um, so I think that I just kind of wanted to say that and, you know, it's definitely easier said than done, especially if it's not on your radar. And if it's not already on your radar, then um, ask questions, you know, but I think for other people, um, again, I think it's just finding what you're passionate about and just talk about it. Ask questions, you know, um, with who you feel safe talking about it with, but that was it. I would say check to see if you're having fun in doing this, you know, like, I think it's not only that we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't very needed and necessary. And we saw that there was a lot of good that it offered a lot of stuck people. Um, but it's really like, I'm doing this cause I'm having fun. You know, I'm having fun getting to know the people that I'm going to be in unison with for the next 
50 years of my life, you know, like I'm having fun. Uh, like I want, we're, we're, we're trying to be very creative with the types of stuff and programs that we're doing, you know, so we're moving away from not just having conversations, but really showcasing people through art and through physical spaces and different stuff. Like, I'm really excited for the stuff that we have planned and whatnot. Creating an awesome culture in your church community doesn't have to be a very combative experience. And also, like I, and like I think it was said, our experience hopefully isn't completely the norm as much as we might have evidence to suggest it might be. But I really want people to be able to figure out, okay, what can I do for the Lord and to really help establish this transformative kingdom on earth that isn't wearing, that isn't just doing the bottom like the bottom barrel bin job of not stressing me and tire me out, but is fun and is invigorating and is, is something you're really excited and passionate about and even nerdy about in a way that like you don't figure know how to really explain to people. You're just like, come, just come and see, you know, I'm like, isn't that what we wanted the ICOC to be like in the first place? I'm just like, I just, I don't know. You just got to come and see it, you know? So I think that's what we got to reclaim for this next chapter of so many people's walks. You know, that's what I'm trying to reclaim. I really love that. And I I love that because that speaks to something that I do see in all of you guys, which is trying to figure out how to like have fun and be because we're like 20 somethings, you know, like and for so much of our days, we're so like in these tough conversations thinking about really heady like things and you know social justice and all these things and it's like I have appreciated that with even when I hang out with you guys sometimes it's like let's just talk about movies or let's just goof around let's go like have fun go out to dinner and like I think that's something that's really important too in this conversation it's like are you like life shouldn't be that hard I guess like <laughs> it shouldn't be that heavy. And I think for me, that was one of the things of like, oh, realizing that I needed to step back from certain um, conversations. Like, obviously, I'll always, I think, have passion for um, talking about these things. But there were times when I was like, oh, I need to take a break because going to church shouldn't feel like I have a million pounds on my shoulders um, or going to talk to so-and-so shouldn't feel like the heaviest thing in the world. And yeah, there's times when it, when, when it has to be, and it has to feel heavy and then you have to still work through things that are hard, but it was like, is this my life? Like, is this going to be my life? I don't want this to be my life. I want my life to be full of joy. And like, yes, there are hard times that you can't escape or whatever, but like loving God shouldn't feel like he said, my yoke is easy. My burden's light for a reason. Like it shouldn't feel like this, war that we're fighting of like you know every time I go to church on Sundays like I'm triggered by like 10 things that are said to me or whatever and then it's like I want to bring up all those 10 things throughout the rest of my week and then then my week is gone and you know that's kind of how it was for me at least and I know that's not how it is for everyone but it's like oh that's not what it's supposed to be it's supposed to feel safe it's supposed to feel light. It's supposed to feel encouraging. It's supposed to feel joyous, you know, all the things that you, are described in the Bible. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you guys want to say before we log off? 
I just wanted to say uh, thank you, Isabel, for moderating this because, you know, you're you're in this position of allowing us to speak on these things that we know you're insanely passionate and wise about as well. And, you know, I and none of us, I think, would be the same if it wasn't for the ways that your wisdom and kindness has really blessed each and every one of us. So <laughs> don't think of it as like, yeah, yeah, you're really a, a revolutionary if there is one. So <laughs> it means so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, all right. That wraps that up. Um, thank you guys so much. All right. That was a lot, but I hope you guys get what I was saying about it being important to hear from people who have been actively advocating for change, especially if you're in the same faith community they're advocating for change in. We know we got really passionate and not everyone will be comfy listening to this episode, but that's kind of the point um, because making space is hard. If you're listening and are maybe feeling a little upset or even a little angry, I would encourage you to just reflect and figure out where that's even coming from. Are you uncomfortable about our conversations or are our conversations just bringing up things that make you uncomfortable? Is it the tone or the delivery or are you just overwhelmed about the subject matter? Because if it's the latter, we get it. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to deal with and a lot to surrender. And if you're bothered, maybe that just means you're human. Like Gian quoted, we're all in this together. So if you want to learn more about our podcast or get updates or join the conversation, you can follow us on Instagram at spacemakers.podcast or like us on Facebook. And to learn more about Wound of My People, you can follow Wound of My People on Instagram. And to learn more about Lifeline LA, you can follow lifeline.la on Instagram. Thanks so much for coming to our space. <laughs>